Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. Now, most Christians are very quick to say, yes, I believe the word, I have faith. In fact, I think I'd probably be safe in saying that most people who go to a word church would say, I believe in health, I believe in healing and deliverance and protection and provision because they've learned that that's what salvation includes. They've realized that salvation is more than just a ticket to heaven. But if we're honest now, we'd have to admit that there are times when we struggle in our faith because it doesn't always go exactly like we think it should be going. And we say, Lord, I, I do believe, I do have faith, I don't know what's happening. And we know that there's not a problem with the Word, we know it's not a problem with God, and so we struggle because we don't know exactly what's happening. Well, the Lord began to deal with me that there is an active faith and there is a passive faith. And today I want us to see the difference between an active faith and a passive faith. Now, a passive faith does not deny the truth. A passive faith is very quick to say, yes, I do believe the word. And someone that's in passive faith, they do. They believe the word. But passive faith too often believes that God can, but does not necessarily believe that God will do that right now in this particular situation. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, I believe that the Lord showed me that a passive faith is a bigger enemy to victory in our life than even doubt itself. Because when we're in doubt, at least we know that the problem's obvious. And we know what to work on. But passive faith can really sound so right that we can even deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing everything okay because we're thinking, yes, I believe the Word of God. You know, I believe this is true. I know what the promises are. We can be deceived. Let me give you an example. It was about 15 years ago that I started having a lot of problems with my back and it got to the place where I could hardly get up and down and I was in constant pain and it was so severe that a lot of times it just bring tears to my eyes. Well, I knew the word. I knew that my inheritance in Christ was health and I was confessing the word and I kept saying, you know, Lord, what's wrong? What's going wrong? And I was constantly searching to see if I could find any open doors. And I did everything in the natural that I knew to do to help myself out. And that was good. There wasn't anything wrong with that. But God began to show me that I was operating in a passive faith. See, it was subtle. It was so subtle that I didn't realize what I was doing. But I was saying, Lord, I thank you that my back is healed. But see, I had lost all expectation that it was going to get better. And there wasn't that expectation there. See, subconsciously, I was depending on everything that I could do in the natural or everything that I could keep from doing in the natural to make me better. Even though I was saying all the right things, those things that were coming out of my mouth just become words. It didn't mean anything. And what woke me up were the words, if you would put as much effort into hitting it God's way as you do trying to make yourself comfortable and trying to treat the symptoms, then you'd get over this. When I heard those words, what waved over me were two emotions. I got angry first because I thought, I am quoting the word, and I do believe. And then this self-pity just waved over me because I thought, you know, I'm in constant pain. I'm really hurting. And I couldn't believe that that had been said to me. But as I thought on it, the Lord began to deal with me. 
You know, it was fine to do all those things in the physical to make myself feel better. It was fine to sit in a hard chair instead of in a soft chair, and it, it was certainly a good thing to be doing all the back exercises. But God reminded me that every time I did something in the physical realm, in the natural, to help myself, that I was to use that as a reminder to hit it in the spiritual realm as well. That was supposed to remind me that God was the source of my healing, not just what I was doing in the natural. So I started letting that be a, a barometer. Every time I would do something to make myself more comfortable or every time I'd take my back exercises, I would start really quoting what God had to say about it. And I started just praising the Lord that he was my source. And as I did that, I began to feel that expectation on the inside grow. I could feel something lifting up on the inside. Now, I can't describe in words what makes the difference between active faith and passive faith, but I'm just telling you that if you'll get really serious with God, you're going to know on the inside when you're operating in passive faith and when you're in active faith. You're going to know the difference. It feels different. When you're in active faith, you can feel a difference on the inside. It's like something just kind of rises up on the inside where you know that you know that you know that you know. It's almost like a verbal voice on the inside saying, I know that this is going to be okay. I know I'm getting better. I know that the word works. It's something on the inside that says it's going to work and there's no demon in hell that's going to be able to steal this from me. Now, this thing on the inside is going to feel active. That's all I can say. It'll feel active. It'll feel like something's alive on the inside of you. Now, you've all experienced times when that thing would rise up on the inside of you and you'd feel that, and you knew that what you were believing for was going to come to pass. Now, you've experienced that. And you've also experienced those times when on the inside it kind of felt like you were just kind of laid back and... You were saying all the right things, but it was just kind of dead. You felt like it was just dead on the inside. Even though you were saying, yes, I believe the word, and yes, I know that it's true, there was a deadness. It was kind of like something had been laying down. Now, if you'll think about it, you've experienced both. So just remember back what it felt like on each side, when you were in active faith, when you were in passive faith. Now, in these end days, we can't afford to be operating in passive faith in any area. So be constantly aware of working at believing God, letting it be fresh every day so that that expectancy will be there every morning when you get up. It's kind of like an excitement on the inside. Now, there's going to be times when you'll have that expectancy and you'll be excited and you'll be believing it and God will just speak something in your heart to do. But it's not going to be anything that you've reasoned up. When I go back to the times that I've reasoned something up, I'm sitting there trying to decide what I need to do. But when it's God, it'll just come up out of your spirit and it won't be anything you've reasoned. See, reasoning will bring us into a passive faith because what we're doing, we're putting our eyes off of God and we're putting our eyes onto what can I do to make this thing better. Now, if we'll ask God, he'll usually give us something to do. You know, he told Naaman to dip in the River Jordan. Now, he's probably not going to tell us to go dip in the River Jordan, but he usually will give you something specific. And when it comes up, be quick to be obedient. He may tell you to fast, to break the bonds of wickedness, or he may tell you to write out a covenant. And if he does, write that covenant out and read it. I mean, every day, take that thing and read it and say, God, this is your word. This is what you've spoken to me. 
He may give you a word of knowledge for you to hang on to. See, every time I've been about to encounter a real trial of my faith, God has given me either a very vivid picture up out of my spirit for me to hang on to, or he's given me a rhema scripture, or he's given me a covenant, and he'll have me write it out and read it and hang on to it. Sometimes he'll give us a point of contact. You know, there's been times when I felt like the Lord would tell me to take communion and do that as a point of contact to release my faith and and to cause my faith to get active, to cause that excitement to start building. Now, when God gives you a specific thing to do, just in the doing it, just as you're obedient, you're going to feel something spark on the inside. It's going to be just like something sparks and you're going to feel life come into your faith. You know, Angela one time was having a bout with some stomach virus and the Lord spoke a scripture to her and he said, my word is medicine. Well, in this day and time, we talk a lot about preventative medicines. And she said that it dawned on her that God was telling her that she was supposed to take his word as a preventative medicine, not just after the fact. Rather than wait until we have symptoms on our body, we need to get up in the mornings and we need to begin praising God and thanking God that we walk in divine health. That needs to be the first thing that comes out of our mouth when we get up in the morning. See, God not only has provided healing, but he's also provided divine health. I think it's interesting that the word in the Hebrew for salvation and the word in the Greek for salvation both include health and healing. And I used to think about that, and I thought, you know, Lord, why did you say that salvation means health and healing? Well, if we happen to get symptoms on our body, he's provided healing. But before that, he wants us to start claiming the divine health that's provided in salvation. See, too often we're in passive faith, and we take our health for granted until those symptoms start trying to hit our body. See, passive faith causes us to start becoming complacent. Now, I believe that Psalm 91 is the most important passage in the Word for preventative medicine. But make a conscious effort not to ever quote Psalm 91 passively, where it just becomes a ritual. See, as you read Psalm 91 every morning, let something just rise up on the inside of you where it's fresh and it's new as though you were reading it for the very first time. And if you'll do that, you'll actually just feel it almost explode on the inside. I can remember the first time the Lord had me write out a covenant. I wrote that covenant out and I even taped it as I would read it so that I could play it to myself because I was needing to keep my deliverance and I was needing some strength. And so I would put it on tape and play it while I was washing dishes or whatever. And I would start out, my voice would sound real dead as I started out reading it. But the further I went into that covenant, I heard life come into my voice. Well, by the time I finished reading that covenant, I mean, I was just shouting. There's something that happens on the inside if you'll let that come to pass. That's how you keep your faith active instead of passive. Now, I try never to let a day go by that I don't quote Psalm 91. But, you know, without a conscious effort, we can slip into complacency and and we can slip into passivity with the things that we do daily. Because any time we do something daily, unless we make a conscious effort, it will just become something that's trite. So don't let that happen. Just determine in your heart you're not going to let it happen. See, as I quote Psalm 91, I try to picture every phase of that psalm as I quote it. 
And you don't have to memorize it because as you say it every day, as you read it every day, finally it's going to be down in your heart. So as you read it and as it's in your heart, just say it as though you're saying it to God, as though you're thanking God for it, as though you're hearing it for the very first time. You know, when you take that psalm, just begin to say, Father, I thank you that I dwell in the shelter of the Most High and I'm abiding in your shadow and you're my God. You're my source. You're the one that I trust. And Lord, I don't have another plan B. I've put all my eggs in one basket and you're my source. I don't have anything else to lean on. And Lord, I thank you that you've told me that I would not be afraid of the terror by night, all the things that are coming through man to harm us. I don't have to be afraid of the arrows that fly by day. I don't have to be afraid of those things that come to wound. I'll not be afraid of any of the pestilence or the sickness or disease or, or the destruction. Though thousands fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, it's not going to approach me for any purpose. And then as you do that, begin to be excited about the fact that God's also told you that as you quote that and believe that, no evil will befall your family. So begin putting that blood covering around your family. And then begin to thank him that his angels have been given charge concerning you that, and see yourself being literally lifted up by those angels. That as you go along, if you're in the wrong pathway, God's going to pick you up with those angels and set you in another pathway. And then begin to picture the fact that as the enemy forces come, that he's promised you that you're going to tread upon serpents and they're not going to be able to hurt you. Get a picture of that. See those enemies coming your way and the angels picking you up and you treading over the top of those serpents and, and they're not being able to hurt you, that you're going over the top of them. And as you start seeing that and confessing that, you're going to be so excited that it's going to cause this active faith to start working in your life. And then as you quote the last part of that psalm where God begins to speak to you, every time stop and realize that God is saying to you that because you love him and because you've been called according to his purposes and, and because you know him by name, then whatever it is that you're needing, when you call on him, he says, I'm going to hear you. He said, I'm going to answer you. He says, I'm going to honor you for asking. He said, I'm going to rescue out of you out of whatever it is that you're uh, going into. He said, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to satisfy you with a long life. I'm going to let you behold my salvation. If we'll let scriptures come alive, take those scriptures and quote them and see that happening, then you're going to cause active faith to start rising up. And you'll feel your faith literally moving from passive faith to active. Now, God's going to show you which scriptures that you need to take as a preventive medicine. You, you know, there'll be different scriptures in here and something will just jump off the page. And when it does, then take that scripture and use it. That's medicine for you. Now, this is very important. You need to mark this down. Fear is not passive faith. So don't get the two mixed up. Fear is a very active faith. It's not passive. It's just an active negative faith. See, with, with fear, you know, you recognize it. Well, you know when you're in fear. But we don't recognize passive faith most of the time. But see, passive faith is something where we're just kind of laid back. But that fear is a very active faith. It just happens to be a negative faith. And so if you take the family curses, for instance, we've seen maybe something coming down in our bloodline. And as long as we're in passive faith, we're going to be saying, yeah, I, you know, I know that low blood sugar just kind of runs in my family. But, oh, I know the word tells me I'm redeemed from that. So, Lord, I thank you that I don't have to be afraid of that. 
And you're just going to almost be, you're going to feel yourself lying down. You're going to feel something on the inside just laying down. See, basically what we're doing there, we're just ducking our head and we're just kind of hoping to God it's not going to strike. And we're operating in a passive faith. See, an active faith is going to face something head on. Don't be afraid to look at the curses that are coming against your family and look at them head on and realize, yes, those things are being handed down in the natural realm, but I don't have to be afraid of those things to face them head on. Be able to say, in the name of Jesus, you're going to pass down no further. You're not coming to me, and you're not coming to my descendants. I've been redeemed from the curse. Galatians 3.13 tells me that Christ redeemed me from the curse by the blood of Jesus. See, faith is an action, but passive faith is not going to cut it in the end days. We're not going to be able to escape the things that are coming on the earth if we're in passive faith. The only way we're going to be able to win the battles that come is when we look at this word and we say, no, I'm not going to get into passive faith. I am going to have an active faith. See, the God kind of faith causes you to take action against the enemy. Now, I looked in Webster's Dictionary at the word action, and I found that there were four definitions. Number one definition for action was to do something. Number two was putting something into motion or putting something into operation. The number three definition of action meant military encounter between hostile forces. And the number four definition was an action that causes change. So I thought about that and I applied that definition to active faith. See, that's the definition of action. Okay, an active faith now, number one, is going to put something into motion. It's going to put something into operation in the spiritual realm. Now, you might not see it right away, but active faith is going to put something into motion, and eventually you're going to see the results of it. Number two, active faith is a military encounter, and it is, because we're in a warfare. Now, you're going to encounter the enemy, and you're going to be able to overcome the enemy if you're operating in an active faith. See, a passive faith doesn't encounter anything. The enemy doesn't pay any mind because it has no power in it. And then last, an active faith is going to cause change. But see, if we're just floating along in a passive faith, it's not going to change one thing. You're not going to be encountering the enemy in any kind of constructive way, and nothing is going to be there to bring about change. So hit those curses now that are coming on your family. Hit the fears and hit it with active faith, and it will cause change. It'll cause something to begin to happen. You know, I don't care if it's diabetes or cancer or hardening of the arteries or high blood pressure or whatever. You know, it may be something that the world calls deadly, but the best defense is a good offense, and that's active faith. Now, we get in fear because so often we're thinking, Lord, I just don't know if I have enough faith to believe that. After all, Lord, those curses are real, and we've had people in our family that have died from that. When we're thinking that, maybe we're not saying it out of our mouth, but when we're thinking it, then that fear begins to rise up. Now, we try so hard to have faith, to work up faith, but faith is not hard. Faith is simply choosing to believe whatever it is the Word says. And see, Satan has kept us deceived into thinking that, boy, it takes working your faith up. It takes really being a a spiritual giant to make that faith work. Listen, that is a lie of the enemy. We don't have to prove this Word. We don't have to perform the miracles. We don't have to feel anything. We just have to believe it because God said it. See, it's just a matter of saying, God, you're the one that said this in your word. 
I didn't say it. You said it, Lord. You're the one that made the promise. And what you've said is going to be what I live by, and this is going to be my final authority. I don't care what the world says. This is going to be my final authority. And we need to come on with active faith and be dogmatic. Whatever it is that comes against your family, you can find in the Word of God a promise that covers it. See, God has a promise to cover anything that can come against you. I was so shocked one time to realize that. I've forgotten what it was that came up, but I was thinking, oh, I wish I had a promise. And it was like the Lord just spoke to me and said, I have a promise to cover anything that can come against you. And I started looking through the word and I realized you can't have anything come against you that God hasn't covered it in his word, hasn't already taken care of it. So just say the promise anytime that the symptoms try to come until finally those promises become more real to you than that thing that you see coming that thing that you see facing you. See, whatever we see in the sight realm, it can be taken care of with God's word. So confess the promises with your mouth until you finally believe it in your heart. You may not believe it when you start confessing it. But your faith formula in Romans 10, 9, and 10 is that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, it's going to bring results. Well, sometimes we've got to confess that thing out of our mouth for a while until we finally believe it in our heart. But when you mix those two, the confession of your mouth and the belief in your heart, you're going to see results come. God promises that. See, it's an exchange system. You're exchanging whatever it is that you see in the natural for whatever it is from the Word of God that God has promised. Now, write down 2 Corinthians 5, 7 because God says that His children go by faith and not by sight. And so many times, we, we're going by sight rather than by faith. And God said, no, my children go by faith in the word rather than by sight. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, the things you see are temporal. Anything you see in the natural can be changed with the word of God. You don't have to receive it just because you see it out there. He says, the things you don't see are what are eternal. Anytime you see something in the natural, it's subject to change. You know, I had a doctor say this to me. And I've read it before in health journals, but he said in the mind or in the subconscious, if negative thought is left there, and this doctor said that if you allow these negative thoughts to stay in your mind, those negative thoughts send messages. They literally send a message to the body and the body responds. For example, if a thought of sickness is allowed to stay in the mind, it will eventually send a message to the body and the body will respond and get sick. That's why when a thought comes, don't ignore the thought, answer it with the Word of God. See, we can't just let it go in and think, okay, I won't think about that. We've got to answer it and take care of that. See, our mind is a part of the soulish realm, and it's worth any amount of time that it takes for us to renew our mind to how God thinks. And that's what he tells us to do in Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world's way of thinking, but be transformed by renewing your mind. Now, we're quick to quote 3 John 2, but sometimes we stop short. 3 John 2 says, I wish above all things, brethren, that you might prosper and be in health. And boy, we love that. And we say, Lord, I thank you that it's your will for me to prosper and be in health. And it is his will. But the last part of that verse says, as your soul prospers. So see, the Holy Spirit through John was telling us that we're only going to prosper and be in health to the extent that our soul, our mind is prospering in the Word of God. 
as we prosper in the word, as our mind is renewed to the word of God, then we're going to be sending the right messages out that will cause us to prosper and be in health. Have you ever gotten up in the morning time and you said, oh God, I'm so tired, I just don't think I can make it. Have you ever been there? I think we've all done that. And if we keep that thought going in our mind, by noon, we're going to be exhausted. We're not going to be able to move. But if you'll try this, the next time you feel so tired that you feel like you can't put one foot in front of the other one. Now, I'm not talking about if you've been hit with the flu or something. You know, you may have to let your body rest if you've overdone it. But I'm talking about if you just get up and you're exhausted, then just start singing. Start quoting out loud, Lord, I thank you that your joy is what brings strength up inside of me. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength and sing and put some praise music on and do a little bit of dancing and you're going to be surprised. Your body may be screaming, but if you'll continue to do that and put that faith out, that joy literally is going to come up out of your spirit and the Bible tells us that joy will cause your body to respond and strength will begin to come up. Now there's a negative faith and there's a passive faith and they are different. That negative faith Many times is fear, and it will literally call negative things to you just exactly like a magnet. It's just like a magnet, and that negative faith just draws those bad things to you. But now passive faith, even though it may not call it in, a passive faith is going to allow in whatever happens to come knocking. Now, it may take a little longer for bad results to come with a passive faith rather than a negative faith because that negative faith is pulling it in. But even though the passive faith is not drawing it like a magnet, it will allow that thing in when it comes. And that's what deceives us into thinking that we're okay. But see, eventually, that negative faith just opens the door. Now, this same doctor told me about this 28-year-old girl, and her mother had died of breast cancer. And after that, she just became terrified that she was going to develop breast cancer. And so she had come to him, and he put her through the clinic. He put her through every kind of test, and there was no indication whatsoever of any kind of abnormal cells. And so he told her that, and then when he saw how much fear she had, he sat down with her, and he started explaining to her how fear is a negative faith that calls it to you. So he was telling her about the Word of God and how important it was for her to take those thoughts captive. But he said he realized she didn't hear a word that he said. He said that after that she went to four other doctors because all the doctors know each other, and she just continued to be driven by fear. And finally... He said it was two or three years later, but she did develop breast cancer. And he said he was convinced that she literally called it in because negative faith calls in the evil. Now, passive faith just allows it to come in, but it's going to have the same end result. We can be operating passive faith, and we feel like, boy, we're doing okay. But it's going to have the same end result as the negative faith. Now, Solomon knew the Word of God. He knew that exactly what God's word told him because Proverbs tells us that his mother and his father both taught him the word. He knew that he had a covenant with God. He operated in that covenant. He knew that he was blessed beyond anybody on the face of the earth. You know, they came from all over the world to see his wisdom and to see his riches. And he knew that these things were from God. But he became passive in his faith. And you can see it when you start reading his life. And he allowed his pagan wives to just bring those pagan gods into the kingdom. Now, he didn't call it in. He allowed it to come in. 
When we hear that, we think, well, boy, I would never allow some kind of false god. I'm not that passive. Well, we need to realize that any time we allow a thought to stay in our mind that does not line up with the Word of God, and any time we passively fail to take that thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, we have just allowed a lofty thing to raise itself up against the knowledge of God. And when we do that, it becomes a pagan god on the throne of our mind. And when we do that, we're going to find that it's coming from a passive faith that allowed a negative message to set something into being. It literally invited it in. Now, when I'm talking about active faith now, I'm not talking about pretending that nothing's wrong. I'm not talking about play acting. I'm talking about a spiritual power. I'm talking about the power of God that takes care of a problem that does exist. See, too often people operate in a soulish power and that's why they don't see anything happen because they don't realize that they're not operating in God's faith, they're operating in a soulish power. See, active faith uses the principles of God to change those things that are coming. Just giving mental assent to the fact that God's word is true, that's not going to work. That's a passive faith. Real faith or active faith is going to make the difference of the success or failure in our life. Now, we're going to find that real faith, active faith now, number one, sees the problem, doesn't deny the fact that it exists. Number two, it recognizes our human inability that in and of ourselves we cannot do a thing. We can't reason it out. We can't work it out. And then number three, it goes that step further and expects God to act. See, God does act in response to our faith. God wants us to have a determination of steel where we are stubbornly and steadfastly believing that God is going to do exactly what he promises to do. See, it's a military encounter between hostile forces. When our country calls some young man into a tour of duty, what's it called? It's called active duty, isn't it? You never hear of a young man being called into passive duty. <laughs> you never hear that. Okay, even the world knows that it has to be an active duty. Well, we're in God's end time army. We're aliens in a foreign land, and it's the enemy's war zone, and we're called into active duty. Now, I want you to look at 1 John 5, 19. 1 John 5, 19, because I want you to see where the warfare is. It says, we know that we're of God. Praise God. We know that we're of God. But, look. The whole world, though, lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, the entire world is in the enemy's war zone. Look back up at verse 4. It says, but whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Okay, that's the war zone. That's the enemy's territory. He's the God of this world at this point. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Praise God. It's our active faith, though. It's not going to be our passive faith. Okay, look back at Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, this is the chapter about the faith, faith of God, people who have walked in the faith of God. And the first verse is talking about faith, gives us the definition of faith. And then verse 2 of Hebrews 11, 2 says, For by it the men of old gained approval. By what? Okay, it's been talking about faith in verse 1. So it's saying in verse 2, by faith, by active faith, the men of old have gained approval. 
Now, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He gained approval. And we think, well, they didn't have as much to believe for back then. You know, they didn't have all the things coming against them that we have coming against us today. Listen, Abraham was called on to believe that his 90-year-old wife was going to have a baby. And I don't think any of us have been called on to have any more faith than that. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted as righteousness. Okay, look in verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which were visible. Okay, that means that everything that was here, uh, originally everything was created by words. God's words. He created it with his words. And we're made in his image. So by our words, by our active faith words, okay, we can literally call things into being. Now, sometimes we're saying all the right things, but we're not seeing any results because our confessions have become passive confessions. So not only does our faith become passive at times, but we're going to find sometimes our confessions become passive. Now, we believe it's possible, but we're just kind of laid back. We're just kind of saying it, but there's nothing behind it. See, it's lost its power. It's lost its expectation. Now, in Romans 4, verse 17, it said, God called those things which were not as though they were. He called those things that did not exist into existence. He literally called it in. His faith was active. He expected it to work. He had that I know that I know. And any time we lose our expectancy, we're going to know that our faith and our confessions are going to become passive. So just look back over the things that you're confessing right now. Because all of us have things that we're confessing for. And be honest enough with yourself to see if you quit expecting it to happen. Or if you're thinking, yes, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen down the road. See, we put it off future tense. God is a God of today. Today is the day of salvation. So if you've quit expecting, then you're in mental ascent, and it's coming out of a, a soulish realm rather than out of the spiritual realm. Okay, I want us to look at another area where it's easy to slip into passive faith. Look at verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Notice that it was by faith that Abel offered a better sacrifice. In other words, he offered his sacrifice, and when he did, he was believing God. He was doing it in faith. Now, perhaps... Cain's grain offering could have been acceptable if it had been offered by faith because grain offerings were acceptable under the Old Covenant. Leviticus 2.13 says, as long as they're seasoned with salt. And what it means by being seasoned with salt, that's representing loyalty or representing faithfulness. So to me, that's a type and shadow of something being done in faith. But Abel gave his offering in faith expecting. Okay, we need to examine our sacrifices you know, what about our sacrifices of praise? Have they become passive? Our giving and our tithing. See, just because we lift our hands and just because we're mouthing all the right things doesn't automatically make our sacrifices acceptable if they're being done passively. So we need to ask ourselves, is it being given cheerfully? Am I excited on the inside? Is it something that I'm just doing by habit, by rote? Am I eager and expectant because God required it and because I know that my obedience is going to move things in the spiritual realm? Am I excited when I give my tithes and offerings because I know that I'm doing my part to move things in the kingdom of God? See, when we as a church give money into the different ministries, 
different missionaries that we have. We should be overcome with excitement over the fact that we're helping to carry the gospel into Ireland. We're helping to carry the gospel into Belize, into, into Russia, into Indonesia, into India, and all the other places where our different missionaries go. See, are you giving that with that excitement on the inside because not only are you helping to spread the gospel but also excited that he's going to do what he promised in your life and open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that you can't contain it and rebuke the devourer? See, active faith expects God to do exactly what he says he's going to do. And that's what he's saying there in verse 6. You're familiar with that. But he said without faith, and he's talking about an active faith, it's going to be impossible to please him because he who comes to God must believe that God is and must believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's the rewarder of the ones who believe that what he says is true. Now, I had someone share something with me that really demonstrated active faith. He told me that he had had a fungus under his toenail for 14 years that he had been doctoring and working on and never could get it to go away. He said that he had a mole that had gotten irritated and he, all of a sudden a wart came up. And he said that, you know, it wasn't anything life-threatening, so he had just sort of quoted the word over it every once in a while. But he said all of a sudden God just spoke to him and said, get busy, do something about this. Now, it's really easy when we have something that's chronic and it's not life-threatening, it's easy for us to just kind of half-heartedly say the word and move on. We get into passivity. When we do that, we're giving it permission to stay. But he said all of a sudden something rose up on the inside of him, and even though he wasn't calling it active faith, he said all of a sudden, he said, I put my faith to work. And he said I started hitting it really hard consistently with the Word of God. And he said the first thing that left, and he said I have to admit it was a little bit to my shock, but he said the first thing that left was the fungus under his toenail. And he said that all that was left was just a dent in the toenail. He said the next thing, he said the wart actually fell off. And he said then he looked and he thought the mole was getting smaller. And then he said, no, that can't be. He said, that has to be my imagination. And then he'd get himself back into the word and he'd say, but God, nothing's impossible with you. And he kept confessing that and kept coming after it. And he said, there may be no one in the world that believes that. But he said, that mole is totally gone. And he said, I didn't do anything except curse it in the name of Jesus and come against it and use the word of God. See, we're called into active duty. Put your faith on the line. It's not that there's any power in and of yourself, but power, the God's power is released by actively believing that God's going to do it. Now, I'm going to show you one story in Joshua 2 that I love. Joshua chapter 2. This is the story of Rahab the harlot. And every time I read this story, it causes faith to rise up on the inside of me. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, Joshua, the son of Nun, had sent men to spy out secretly in the land. And if you'll remember, Rahab the harlot took the men and hid them in the house. And she protected them even when the officials came. Okay, look on over in verse 11. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So she's confessing. She's making her confession of faith. Your God is the Lord of all. And then in verse 12, she says, Now therefore swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth. And spare, notice, she's not just asking for her life, she's asking for her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, 
that means their children and their children's children, and deliver our lives from death. Okay, so the spies then say, okay, we'll do it if you'll hang a scarlet thread in the window. Look down in verse 18. The last part of verse 18, they said, but you're also going to have to gather into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. And it shall come about that if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we'll be free. But if anyone who is with you in the house, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. This is a representation of getting people under the blood covering. Then the spies leave. Now the real test is going to come because it's easy for Rahab to hang the scarlet thread in the window. That's a representation of the blood of Jesus. But I could see how easy it would have been to start doubting at this point. It would be really easy to start thinking, oh my goodness, those men are not going to remember the promise they made to me. They've got a million Israeli out on the other side of the Jordan. And what makes me think that they're going to remember a promise made to one little foreign woman? And besides, even if they do remember, how are they going to know in the heat of the battle? When they have a million Israeli coming in, how are they going to know which is my half? If they're destroying everything in their pathway, how are they going to know? How do I know they're even going to see that scarlet thread in the window? Can't you just see how logically those thoughts of doubt and fear would have been? But she didn't do that. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 21... It says that they utterly destroyed everything in the city. And when I read that, I thought to myself, that did take a miracle. Because when they come in and they're utterly destroying everything in the city, and in the heat of that battle for them to be able to remember and recognize her house to protect it, that would take a miracle. But in verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all that she has out as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in, brought out Rahab, brought out her father and mother. Notice they brought out everyone she asked for, her brothers and all that she had, and brought them out, all of her relatives, and placed them outside the camp. Now Rahab operated in active faith. She believed the promises. She was obedient to do whatever God told her to do, and she expected to be saved. Now, she expected it enough to get all of her family in under the household. Now, that's a type and shadow of the fact that we can spiritually gather our loved ones under a blood covering. Now, that's shouting ground if you'll think about it. Now, I use this scripture every time I pray and believe for my extended family. I try to do that every day. I say, Lord, I thank you that even under the old covenant, you gave Rahab her brothers, her sisters, and her nieces and nephews. You gave all of that to her. How much more can we believe for under the new covenant? So be determined that you're not going to allow complacency or passivity to creep in. Gather spiritually all of your loved ones. Gather your extended family every day, and don't do it passively. When we do something every day, we can do it by rope. Don't do that. But if you're seeing some of them in sin and doing some things they don't need to do, cover them by the blood of Jesus and begin to say out loud every day, Father, I thank you according to John 20, 23, that you said whosoever sins I forgive will be forgiven and begin to put that blood covering over them every day. Don't leave your family out from under that blood protection by neglect. We have this power given to us. We've got to learn to use it. See, an active faith saved Rahab and all that she had, and we have a better covenant. You know, when God created Adam, he gave him dominion and power on the earth. Adam gave it away. Jesus bought it back. 
And too often what we're doing, we're saying all the right things. We're saying Jesus bought back all the power and authority that Adam left. But we need to allow it to soak in just how much he did recover. Everything in the heavenlies and on earth were bought back. And now we have the same power and authority in his name. Now, not only do we have the power and authority over things on this earth, but in the heavenlies. Later, look up Isaiah 45, 11. But God says that we are to commit to him the works of his hands. We're to commit to him the works of his hands. Now, we're not going to commit anything unless we're in active faith. But God's wanting us to be an integral part of what he's doing. He could have gotten us saved and he could have taken us right on to heaven, but he didn't do it that way. He left us here and made us a part of the work that he's doing on this earth. And his plan is all entwined in our cooperation. It's all entwined in our active faith. Do you realize how much a part of God's plan you are? And if we passively let it go by, we're going to miss out on what we could have done. See, a passive faith is not going to be cooperating with the plan of God. A passive faith is not going to commit anything, any of the works of his hands. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, that all power in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he said, now in my name, I'm giving it to you. He's given us his power of attorney. And we have a lot more than Adam did. We're to seek God and find out his will and then ask him to do it. And without a vision, we're going to perish. And you say, well, okay, what kind of vision? What am I supposed to do? Well, we have to get a vision of what our part is in this. Without a vision, our faith is going to become passive. And if we're just confessing divine health and prosperity for ourselves to make our lives more comfortable, then it's not going to work. But we've got to get a vision of our reason for living outside of our four and no more. Because there's a reason for us to be living in the end times. Now our vision has to be, I'm going to live and not die and I'm going to declare the wondrous works of God so that not just me and my family are going to be okay, but God, so that your work is going to be accomplished in this earth. And once you've gotten a vision of that, then don't put up with harassment from the enemy. You've got power and authority on this earth and in the heavenlies. Don't accept defeat in any level. Don't be passive. Use your active faith. Because any time you start using active faith on the little things that come along, that's your training ground. I had this soreness in my rib cage that continued for about a year. And I thought, oh, it's not any big deal. I'm not going to pay attention to that. And I tolerated it. And one day we were down here and I had my hands lifted. I put it down. My rib cage was sore when I would touch it. And all of a sudden I thought, Lord, I've put up with this long enough. I've been irritated with this for a year, and I know this is not pleasing. As I was going outside, I repented, and I said, God, I ask you to forgive me for being passive in my faith. I got home that night. We were listening to TBN, and John Osteen was preaching, and he said, someone here is having some soreness in their rib cage, and God's going to heal you tonight. And I knew that I knew that God had been waiting for my faith to get active because I'd been passive for a year. See, God had already made provision for it, but my faith had to get active to be able to receive it. And there's a lot of things that are out there waiting for us until we get active in our faith. One of the names of God indicates that he's the God who knows our needs ahead of time, and he's already made provision for it, but he's waiting for us to release them to come to us out of faith. Now, I'm going to give you two warnings to watch for. There's times when you start in your active faith, 
And you're going to find that the enemy will come in in multiples and you'll just feel overwhelmed. But remember, Jesus had more than one temptation come at him on the Mount of Temptation. Just take these things one at the time and use your faith actively one at the time until you put them down. And then there will be times when there's going to be counterattacks. Don't let that throw you. You know, it's easy to win a battle and then just sit back and think everything's okay. And then when it hits you the second time, it tries to blow you away. I had this guy tell me that he had gotten really nauseated and the Lord told him, get up and go to church. Well, he got up and he said the minute he got up and he went on his way, he was fine. The nausea left and he just said, boy, God healed me. Well, he said about mid-afternoon it all came back and he said everything in him went to say, oh, no, it didn't work. And he said all of a sudden he realized that was a counterattack. And he stood up and when he hit it again the second time, it was gone. So watch for the counterattacks. Watch for the multiple attacks. But keep your faith active. Be dogmatic. The enemy tries to tell us that what I'm talking about today is not rest, that we're striving. Listen, you're striving when you're sitting back letting everything overtake you. But when you're in this active faith, knowing that God's going to do exactly what he promised to do, you're going to find that that's going to put you in a rest. You're going to come into a place where you think, oh God, you are so good. Your word works. And it is a rest. You may be out there standing and being dogmatic against the enemy, but you're entering to a rest knowing that God is going to do exactly what he promises that he's going to do. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have supplied everything that pertains to life and godliness for us. Father, I thank you that there's not a need that we can come up with that you haven't already provided. But Father, so many times you're waiting until we get active in our faith to be able to release the power into our situation. Father, I thank you that, that there's not one person living today that was not called to this particular time in history for a purpose. Father, give each one of us a vision of what we're called to do, not just for ourself and, and our comfort and our little family, but Father, help us to see our extended family, help us to see our extended church, help us then to look out and see what you've called us to do, that we can make a difference in the world in which we live. But Father, we're not going to do it passively, we know that. So forgive us for those times when we've been in passivity and help us now that we'll stand up and we'll move forward in a faith that's active and powerful and full of energy and full of life, Father. And we thank you for letting us be partners with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.